it's hard to believe it's been three months. Um, and I, I just, Nicola and I, and Nick's over at Marley Hill, but we just wanted to say thank you to all of the people that made our sabbatical possible. Um, it's, it really is important for those that lead churches to, to take that space, to step back, to step away from the day-to-day of church life and to, to rest, to fix our eyes back on the Lord Jesus um, and to come back rested and for the next season. And it, it does feel like we're stepping into a new season, um, an exciting season. But I want to talk about something a little different today. So I'm not going to do a big vision talk about the church um, and where we're going because I don't actually think much is going to change. The Lord has spoken to us clearly about lots of things over the years and he's not suddenly dropped down a new blueprint for the church. Um, But there are some things that I think he's subtly speaking to us. Little things that he wants us to do, maybe where we put our focus, how we live and journey with him that I think are going to be significant. As many of you know, um, one of my happy places is my garden. Um, I'm a biologist, so I love all things plants. And I just love growing stuff. I love the fact that little seeds pop up and turn into plants and they bear fruits. And I've got a a number of raised um, beds in my garden. And this year there's been runner beans, there's been courgettes, there's been carrots, potatoes, all manner of things. And, And they've pretty much produced a really good crop. Um, I suppose they've had more of my attention this summer. However, there was one plant that was an epic fail, and that was tomatoes. My tomatoes were epically bad. And um, so I went to extreme measures. Um, So go back, Frank, don't you... This this is mine. You see, you've made it worse now. Um, so these are my tomato plants, and so bad worthy, you can't actually see it, but the, I've got some of these halogen bulb things that you use for growing plants, so I took them inside, I set it up in my office, and they still didn't grow. And um, so in the end, they died, and I threw them out. And as you've seen, um, just to rub salt into the wound, two doors down, this is John and Barbara's tomatoes. I can't really see a great deal of difference, to be honest. Um, (laughs) Anyway, I took my um, makeshift grow room down because the neighbours were starting to wonder whether I was having a cannabis farm in my house. Um, But I did um, come across this hat on holiday that I borrowed um, from from a a lad we came across called Joe, who was just an absolute joy um, to be around. But joking apart, tomatoes are meant to look like John and Barbara's tomatoes. They're meant to be healthy, fruitful, strong. Um, It's great, isn't it, to see the green tomato slowly ripen into this beautiful red colour. That's how it's meant to be. But what was the difference between my kind of poor efforts and John and Barbara's fruitful greenhouse and um, I think the answer to that question was the environment and the care you see the tomatoes in John and Barbara's greenhouse they cheat I'm going to tell you a secret they cheat they have like little heaters that heat the greenhouse even when it's cold I just put mine outside and they died and um, so the environment is really important 
and also the care. You see, John and Barbara are retired and they love their gardens. They're experienced gardeners and they go out every day and tend to their plants. And so they thrive. Mine plants are in a constant state of stress. Theirs are in this stress-free environment and they thrived. Over the last three months, um, Nicola and I have been journeying through our sabbatical and as we have, we've been listening to um, a few books. The first one was called A Non-Anxious Presence by a guy called Mark Sayers. I really recommend it. It's a brilliant but at times slightly intense book. Um, It's kind of aimed at leaders but it's kind of for anybody really. Um, And the premise is that in an era that we're currently in, that, that we've kind of moved from where we were to this kind of almost the world feels a bit different. Um, In this time, what the church needs, what people need, are leaders who are non-anxious presence, who are a non-anxious presence, who understand what it means to live in the peace of Jesus. But it's more than just a book about leadership. It's a book about life. We all need to be a non-anxious presence. We are all designed by God to live as a non-anxious presence. I've also started reading a book by Bill Johnson. Uh, It's called The Way of Life. Um, I'm only kind of a quarter of the way through probably. And at the start, he shares an analogy of the kingdom culture in which we should live. And, And he describes it as a greenhouse that we as human beings, when we live in the kingdom, it's like we're living in a greenhouse in what is a broken and hostile world. That we thrive when we place ourselves in the greenhouse of the kingdom. And as I was listening to Bill Johnson, because I, I tend to listen on audiobooks, I just find it easier, um, I was thinking about John and Barbara's greenhouse and their tomatoes, and I was thinking about my tomatoes, which were pathetic. And I was thinking, you can see the difference when we, when we place ourselves in good environments and when we place ourselves in a space where people care, where, the, where people tend to the needs. Now, what if we lived all of the time in a kingdom environment? What if we learnt to place ourselves in the greenhouse of God's kingdom? What would life be like How might we feel? How might we thrive? Well, today, what I want to do is I want to start a conversation. And the next three weeks are kind of just going to touch the tip of the iceberg of of what this looks like. And the series is called A Vision for People, and I'll unpack a little bit more about that later. But I want to start with this idea of how do we become a non-anxious presence in a complex and anxious world? Father God, I just thank you so much for your word, for your truth. Holy Spirit, would you come now and meet us as we come into your courts, as we enter your house? Would we meet you? Would your presence dwell? Might we be changed? Amen. Okay. To begin to understand what Jesus wants for our lives and how he has made us 
to live, a way for us to thrive, how to be a non-anxious presence, we have to go back to the beginning and we have to go back to a garden. Genesis 3 says this. Now the, Lord God has pl- now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I love this picture. God made man in his own image, but it appears from the text that in preparation for the creation of humanity, God had prepared a place for humanity to thrive. He had planted a garden, and this garden had everything Adam and Eve would need to thrive, to be a non-anxious presence. And so they worked the garden, and they walked in the garden with God. You know, God was with them so intimately, so tenderly. And I love verse 25. It says this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Such a place of peace and presence was this garden that Adam and Eve felt no shame. They lived non-anxious lives, thriving in the garden with food to eat, life abundant and God walking by their side. Simple yet profound. And they thrived. I love the generosity of God. You know, just God's heart we see in Genesis 3 as well. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 9, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. You know, do you see the care of God? He overflowed in generosity. He wanted man to be in community. So he made woman. He made, created humanity. He made males and females so they could live and thrive. And out of care for the, his creation, he made all kinds of trees grow with great food for them to eat. But not just food. They looked great too. You know, how often should we just stop and look in wonder at the beauty of apple blossoms? Or the amazing flowers on a courgette plant. God made plants beautiful and good to eat. That is his generosity. They had purpose to tend the garden. They had provision. God gave them all they needed. And they had his presence and his peace. God walked intimately with them and they knew his closeness. In this this picture, we see the heart of God for all mankind. We see God's heart for you and I, that he wants us to experience a garden life, the life he created for each human being. But we know how the story goes, don't we? we? We know what happens next, that Adam and Eve ate from that forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they were ejected from the garden. And so humanity needed a saviour, needed somebody to be, make a way for us to step back into the garden. And so he sent Jesus. You know, it's really important to see, just as a little kind of side point, that God places rules and restrictions on our life for our own good. 
They could have lived in that garden forever by simply just following one command to not eat from that tree. See, God's restrictions brought life, not lack. The devil is sly. The greatest temptation he peddles to each of us is this. You will be like God. You will be like God. He says, take control of your life. Don't be limited by rules and restrictions. Do what you want. Live how you want. Be your own God. God says, what? Well, don't listen to that. Do what you think is best. That's the lie the devil peddles. This is the temptation he gives us to live independent lives. But here's the problem with the lie that you shall be like God. In that moment, as we take control, as we step outside the garden, as we do our own thing, we do receive independence. And we do receive the control that comes with that independence. But we also receive the anxiety and the stress that comes from having the responsibility for our own life. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what will you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow (coughs) nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? See, Jesus speaks into this anxiety. He knows humans are living in the reality of the fall, of this lie, living independent, anxious lives, you know, worrying about all kinds of things food and clothes, the basic provisions, and worrying about purpose and meaning. But in the garden, Adam and Eve did not worry about provision or purpose. God dwelt with them and made provision as they needed. But when we take ourselves out of the garden, we need to provide for ourselves. Or at least, should I say, we feel the anxiety of providing for ourselves. Jesus says, look, why do you worry? Instead, seek first the kingdom. Return to the garden and let your heavenly father be true to his promises to provide, to give you purpose, to give you his presence and his peace. Live in that kingdom greenhouse rather than the hostile, hostile environment all around. Live under the care of the gardener, the provider who gives water, who brings heat, light, food, who prunes cares for each of us so diligently and who is full of compassion and generosity. You know, when you turn on the news at the moment, all you hear about is the cost of living crisis, inflation, energy price caps, interest rates, or you hear about climate change, ice caps melting, hottest days on record, wildfires, floods, droughts, or of war, or the threats of war and conflict. And this is just the top three. 
You know, if we take ourselves out of the garden, out of the greenhouse, and plant ourselves in the world, living as if we are God, how can we possibly survive the level of anxiety and uncertainty that we see all around us? The truth is human beings are not designed to carry the burdens of the world and crises in our, on our own. In fact, at all. Our Heavenly Father will carry these burdens for us in the garden, in the greenhouse of his kingdom. We need to return to the garden, to the purpose, provision, presence and peace of God. I love Psalm 1. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Or Psalm 84. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is blameless. No, when we live in the garden, under the care of our heavenly father, we are like a tree planted by streams of water. We do not wither, we prosper. And when we dwell in the presence of God, the Lord is our sun and our shield. He bestows favor and honor. He does not withhold anything from his children. You know, how good is this? What good news it is. Why would we want to live any other way? You know, at the start, at the start, at the start of our sabbatical, I decided I would journal my way through these three months. And this wasn't a daily ritual. I'm not kind of that sort of person, really. Um, but as I read, as I reflected, as I felt a nudge of the Lord, I wrote in my journal. And um, one question I felt God stir in my heart was, why? What is our why? What is my why? What is the why of this church or what is the why of the kingdom? And as I was writing, the Holy Spirit just whispered, people are our why, David. People are our why. It's that simple. It's all about people. And when you read the book of Acts, you see the church gathered. You see the church scattered. You see pioneering church, challenged church, persecuted church. And when you read Acts, you see people. You see people. Because that is the church. And daily God added people to the community. This family that he called the church. It's all about people. We need a vision for people. And it's not even that life in your church needs a vision for people. We just join in with what the Father is doing because God has a vision for people. He always has. From the moment he created humanity, God had a vision of a garden, of a kingdom in which we can all live and thrive. So much does he have for each of us 
Um, so much love, should I say, does he have for each of us that he sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place, to pay the price for our rebellion and sin, to make a way for us to return to the garden because he loves people and he has a vision for people. And you see the heart of God, don't you, in Jesus? Matthew 9, 36 says this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Doesn't that sound familiar? Jesus looked on and saw the anxiety, the worry and stress of people living outside the garden, living in the hostile environment of the kingdom of darkness. And he had compassion on them. And he had a better vision for them, a better story for their lives. He said this, I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. God has a vision for people, a vision for our life, where we are a non-anxious presence, where we live in the promises of God, where we live in the garden, in the greenhouse, where we seek first his kingdom and replace independence and control and anxiety with trust in our heavenly father and the peace that comes only in his presence and in his garden. So how do we live in the garden? How can we start to embrace this vision for people, this vision for our life, to be a non-anxious presence in an anxious and chaotic world? Well, that is a conversation that we are going to only touch the surface of today. It's one that we need to explore in the weeks and months and years ahead. But I have three great places to start. Three great places to start that we saw in the passages we've already read. Firstly, we are to meditate delight in God's word. We are to meditate delight in God's word. Now when we do this, we will be planted by streams of water. We will find light, we will find protection, provision, favor, and honor. To meditate is to live it. To meditate is to live it. We need to know the word of God and we need to put it into practice in our lives. It is, a, is it about quiet times, you know, personal devotions? Well, yes, of course, that's part of it. But to meditate is to reflect. It is to truly listen to what God is saying through his word and to bring change in our lives with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to meditate and to delight. You know, so whether that's how you manage your time, what you prioritize, what we do with our money or how we parent, how we are as, our, as a spouse, you know, how we manage our life in general, how we react to success or how we react to challenge, how we react to joy or how we journey through grief like the family is doing currently. To align our actions and attitudes to the scriptures helps us to build a kingdom greenhouse around our lives. It helps us to step back into the garden. Do you delight and meditate on the word of God in this anxious and chaotic world in which we find ourselves can I encourage you to build a practice of meditation and delighting in the word of God secondly 
We need to dwell in God's presence. One day in the presence of God really is better than thousands of days elsewhere. This is not religion, you see. This is not religion. It is a relationship. You know, we are real people. You know, if we pinch ourselves, we're real. God is a real God. Just read the Psalms. When we feel anxiety creeping in, we spend time with Jesus. When we want to know how to handle a situation, we spend time in the presence of Jesus. There is no replacement for the presence of God in our lives. Nothing. You know, one of the legacies of the pandemic has been that followers of Jesus are, on average, only attending a gathered environment like this once every other week at best. And often as little as once a month. You know, maybe that's you. You know, you've got this kind of rhythm. Maybe you're watching online and you've just kind of fallen out of the habit of coming and being with people in worship. You know, Sunday gathered environments are not religious activity, but rather an essential part of replacing ourselves in the presence of God. That's what we do. We place ourselves in the presence of God. You know, when we turn this place into a gathered environment or Marley Hill into a gathered environment, it becomes God's house. It becomes the courts of Jesus. And as we come in, we enter his courts. And it's better than a thousand walks or football matches or activities that replace the rhythm of weekly gathered worship in the courts of Jesus, in the presence of God. I'm just going to leave that with you to have a think about that. It's also a great opportunity, these gathered environments, to meditate and delight in the word of God. It's what we're doing now, isn't it? We're looking at the word of God, we're delighting in it, we're meditating on it, we're thinking about what does it mean for our lives. But it's not just gathered environments. We kind of can't survive on just a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or a Thursday night or Tuesday night, isn't it? Should I say Tuesday night? Um, We need a daily ritual of coming into the presence of God. Whether that's spiritual practice, devotions, quiet time, whatever you call it, taking time out, and that could be even as small as five or ten minutes to commit it to the Lord, to enter into his presence. It helps us to stay in his garden and not step out into the world. As we do this, we really do build the kingdom greenhouse in our lives. We really do re-enter the garden and we start to thrive. We live in the truth and promises that God is all we need. You know, when, we th- when lack is all around, God is all we need. We live in the truth that he is our provider, our protector, our friend, that he gives us peace and he gives us an eternal purpose. And finally, we need to seek first his kingdom. Okay, (laughs) anyone know who this is? Very good, Olaf. So Olaf is a character from Frozen that my kids used to love when they were younger. Olaf was a snowman. Well, you can see the snowman, can't you? Um, And that when things warmed up, he started to melt. 
And as he melted, he was given his own personal flurry. And he had this cloud that went around and it snowed, so it kept him in one piece. So wherever he went, this little cloud, this little flurry went with him. <laughs> it's a really, really bad link, isn't it? Um, our kingdom greenhouse goes with us wherever we go. You know, when we're at work or at the school gates or hanging out with our neighbours or socialising, we carry the presence of God. We carry the garden, the kingdom, wherever we go. You know, as we interact with other people, it overflows into their lives too. They experience the presence of God. They experience peace. We get to demonstrate the promises of God to them as we live out of the scriptures. As we live out the scriptures we've been delighting in. As we live out of that time in the presence of Jesus. It overflows into the lives of those that we meet. As we provide food for the hungry or shoes to families who are struggling, we demonstrate the kingdom. When people walk into the pop-up pantry or the biker pantry or to the Lamp Cafe or to Noah's Ark, they don't just walk into a building. They walk into the garden. For that moment, they enter the garden. They experience the kingdom. They don't just get half-price food. They find a sense of peace in a chaotic world. It is a different culture than the culture out there. The kingdom of darkness is nothing compared to the kingdom of God. And of course, our hope and our prayer for every person we come into contact with is that they wouldn't just temporarily share or borrow the peace that we carry, that they would experience Jesus for themselves and place themselves in the garden for all of their life. So what's our vision for people? I need to come into land. It's all right, I'm not going to give you three months' worth of thoughts. Um, you'll be pleased to know, that's next week. Um, we have a vision for people to be a non-anxious presence. Living in the garden, in the greenhouse of his kingdom. Meditating on the word of God day and night. Dwelling in his presence always and seeking first his kingdom wherever they go. We have a vision for people. Well, God has a vision for people. When we embrace and live this vision, we hand over control to Jesus. We give back the burdens of this life and we pick up his yoke, which is easy. We no longer need to live under the cloud of anxiety and worry. But we rather live in the garden under the promises of God that he will be our provider, protector, ever-present father who gives peace and purpose. You know, what I've said today is the tip of the iceberg of what it means to be a non-anxious presence to what it means to live in the garden rather than the desert. It is the start of a conversation. Probably the start of a journey. But Jesus has this vision for us, for you, for me, for all those that we come into contact with. And we must take hold of it. You know, are you living in the greenhouse? 
Are you living in the greenhouse? Are you planted in the garden? Do you know the purpose, the provision, the protection, the promises, the, the peace and the presence across your life? Maybe you kind of know some. You know, you can see bits of the garden in your life. Maybe you kind of got a foot in both worlds. You know, you kind of come and you're in the garden and then you kind of drift away into the world, into the desert. Maybe you've never experienced the garden at all. Well, wherever you are today, the garden waits. The garden doesn't go anywhere. The purpose, provision, protection, promises, peace and presence of God waits. It is a constant. And Jesus has made a way for us to go so that he can lift off the worry, lift off the anxiety and help us to live as a non-anxious presence.